Holy shit, man. I've been actually sleeping like eight and a half, nine hours. Let's just do our check-in. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk about it there. All right. We are live. Uh, hello, I am Zach, and this is with thunderous applause. I am joined by my friend Steve. I am Steve, and we are here to talk about the great resignation. Indeed, we are. And to some of us were early. We're the hipsters <laughs> of, of quitting shitty jobs. Ah, well, everyone could tell so you're hipsters. to the party. Plaid. You got you have the plaid. That's how we know you're <laughs> the That's hipster right. of the great resignation. My sun bleached hat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How are you doing today, brother? Uh, uh, doing fantastic. I just, you know, didn't have too busy of a day. Took care of some simple stuff, clearing up the uh, drain in the bathroom. You know, just got to plunge that some honeydew list. Honeydew list, basically. Yeah, but I'm pretty relaxed though. Yeah. Excellent. I've been in and out of meetings all day, and I've been getting like eight and a half hours of sleep every night, which is like unheard of. But like for some reason, I'm still fucking tired all the time. <laughs> It might be out. It might be just the the plant jizz, right? It is the season for plant jizz. Oh yeah, yeah. It's freaking everywhere. Uh, that oh, cool. Um, we're gonna talk about the Great Resignation. We got some good clips lined up. We yeah. do searching through the interwebs for good shit so that you don't have to. Because um, why would you want to? Because why would you want to? Um, so we got some good clips. A lot of people I'm I'm not aware of or have not been exposed to um before and then of course uh um classic commentators uh richard wolf the economist and chris hedges the uh author uh there towards the end to talk about some various aspects of work um work within a capitalist system and and kind of um some of the psychosocial elements um, that's what we're touching on today Sounds like it'll be very interesting for uh, those who are not me and Steve. I recently uh, you know, put in my two weeks notice at work. They practically begged me to stay. And uh, I said, you know what, if you can do the impossible and get someone to fill in my position before the two weeks are over, I'll go ahead and stay a little while to train them. And uh, lo and behold, with that threat looming over them, they actually managed to find someone, much to my chagrin. Oh, really? Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll probably stay until you know, mid-April. Just a train? Yeah, get train, train the new guy. You know, yeah. when I got in there, the old person was gone. So I got, you know, dick all for training. And it was basically just going off a of secondhand knowledge for someone who had been filling in for my position. So I was like, you know what? It seems only fair. You know, new guy should get some training. Yeah, yeah. and we can touch a little bit more on just kind of uh, these aspects uh, in the context of these clips we have. Yeah. Um, toxic work environments are a problem unless you're like yeah you own your own business or you're like high in a corporate hierarchy you've probably experienced toxic managers toxic co-workers etc oh absolutely or so. been one yourself hey <laughs> hey sometimes it just happens accidentally uh right. yeah tell me so, about who who is this uh first commentator uh the uh, one so with the I, disclaimer saying she's an influencer. <laughs> I've got Erica Kohlberg. She used to be a, a lawyer. She may mm -hmm. uh, she talks very openly about how she had a two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year job, but it was very uh, terrible for her you know, mental health and uh, her life. Basically, she had very little opportunity to live it, and so 
she just went ahead and quit and you know made her own way on YouTube and uh, offers financial advice. Um, unsolicited. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's primarily her realm. Primarily what she does now. She does online okay, financial cool. advice. Yeah, yeah. And cool. so, you know, of course, she's got a whole bunch of, you know, paid uh, stuff from people. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and hear from her about uh, work and the lack of purpose that they're in. Another reason people have been quitting is this feeling of a... So, yeah, um, especially, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the job being considerably more dangerous than before. Uh, I imagine, you know, you, you, you were, uh, you were out of your job prior to COVID, if I recall correctly, but, you know, I can't right imagine. Before. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't imagine sitting up in that little bitty tower, you know, with, you know, some, even one other person, you know, like that's a very small area in which to be sharing the air and all the surfaces and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So risk of COVID, like it's, I have a lot of, you know, I don't think that that's quite so important. I mean, it is for like service workers. Like I think within the like rest, the service sector, restaurant sector, hospitality, she mentioned, Mm -hmm. absolutely 100%. I know for a fact that is. Um, I, I know someone in construction that left because they're like, I don't want to work side by side with someone like when I can't trust them to not be exposing themselves outside of work. Mm -hmm. um, so especially early on, I think um, we had a, you know, more recently in the last six months or so, um, we've had a lot more data to where like, at least me personally felt a lot more confident um, being out and around people. But that first six months was fucking rough. Yeah. We knew nothing. We knew absolutely we, nothing about was, how it was spread. Yeah. Yeah. And we still don't know enough, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely don't feel super paranoid being around other people as much as I did in the very beginning. So, yeah. but that, that idea, that lack of purpose, I think is like mm -hmm. the core of dissatisfaction in the workplace like 
I lacked a, I lacked purpose. I felt I did like, um, Zach alluded to it. I was an air traffic controller for 12 years. Um, which in and of itself is just a rough, rough job. Um, however, like as someone deeply concerned about the climate crisis, like it was like, I constantly questioned myself, um, like these pr people flying private jets going to, you know, Sun Valley or Jackson hole or wherever else flying a private jet because they want to do a va family vacation in some like mm -hmm. ski town getaway. And I'm like, Jesus, like the carbon emissions. So, so they can spend a weekend skiing when like we have world-class skiing within like a two hour fucking drive. Right. Oh, yeah. Where we live. But they're flying to there because it's an elite place to to vacation and just kind of being like, what am I doing here? Why am I contributing to this? Like aviation is like the most carbon intensive method of transportation there is. Um, and what am I like? What am I doing? Just facilitating these rich fuckers flying off for a ghetto, a weekend getaway. And it, it, it did not feel good. So I appreciate that drawing attention to the lack of purpose Go oh, absolutely and, uh, what i what i kind of glommed onto with that was that i think it was 14 percent of people didn't know if their job had meaning or not <laughs> you, know, like, you gotta feel like you're doing something important or you don't <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, go ahead sorry oh, i was gonna say um it, at my previous job it was really hard to feel as though i had any sense of true meaning i know that what i did was important for the functioning of the industry uh you know uh, checks have got to be scanned and checks have got to be processed but at the same time it was just like wow i'm basically facilitating the limping along of this really ancient you know technology that probably shouldn't even exist anymore mm -hmm. so that a bunch of people that are uncomfortable with you know online banking can continue to exchange money it was just kind right. of you know hurtful on a day-to-day -day basis right and then also like i mean i'm sure we'll we'll have more to discuss as we go through some of these clips so maybe we should get to the next uh clip but yeah yeah, yeah I, I think that yeah it's hard to find purpose in some of the things we do and we did not get a clip from david graber but he wrote like a whole book called bullshit jobs and oh, i yeah, do think yeah. we touch on some of that so let's get to that absolutely yeah Bullshit jobs. What a great title. He left us too soon. Brilliant. Um, to be completely honest, I'm still just looking at her face on the other clip. So somewhere in the, um, 
I thought I heard it on your end like a little bit, but I didn't see the clip. So you can offer your commentary and we'll move to the next one. That's totally fine. Oh, okay. Um, or just summarize what she said. Oh, she basically said that, you know, oh, that's unfortunate. She said that with remote work, it was um, basically people didn't want to go back. Uh, you know, they were happy to not have to do dry cleaning or anything like that anymore. Um, because, you know, you're only doing your, your top up and that's pretty easily thrown in the laundry. And so I was just, you know, like, I've never had to do dry cleaning, but I can totally agree with that. Yeah, so I'm I'm getting some PMC vibes off this mm. chick. She mentioned hospitality workers, mm -hmm. uh, which is blue collar, but like a lot of it, a lot of discussions about like, oh, remote work, people like mm, there's a difference between quitting your job, like because of a toxic work environment, etc. So forth, and like, oh, I'd rather work from home. Like, yeah, it's PMC. true. PMC, what is that? Oh, sorry. PMC professional managerial class. Ah, so you okay. have your capitalists. She uh, was a various, <laughs> Right, exactly. But then you have your like actual like factory workers, service workers, like real actual workers. Hmm. PMC, I mean, they are workers, but like there's a kind of like stratification within the working class. PMC just refers to like white collar people that are pretty comfortable okay. that really can't identify with the struggles of someone who has to work fast food or, you know, um, is on the bottom of a hierarchy at like a plumbing company or something that has to get dirty and bust their knuckles every day. The PMC is kind of like, you know, um, a higher order within the working class uh, in terms of high social hierarchies, but the the whole remote work there's a lot of things that can't be done remotely um and so like i understand when people are like my father is that way he's a programmer for the state and like he's just like why can't i continue to work remote um yeah yeah and well, the reality yeah. is is that he totally could except that yeah. if he doesn't go downtown then the downtown businesses are like where are your employees like we need you so it's like okay go ahead and commute 60 miles each way so that we can just continue to do this way that's really energy intensive and a waste of your time and i mean how uh, else is fanny ann's going to get any business i know right fanny <laughs> ann's is a bar in yeah yes 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 for anybody, yeah. yeah it's a fucking but, rad bar i love that place uh, yes I, i've only been the once but it was great uh no he's a great example just uh, due to the fact that like he, during the initial era he did it totally fine from home and then suddenly they're like oh please come back and it's like but I don't wanna. It's a huge inconvenience. You worked remote for quite a while, right? You're breaking up. You worked remote for a while. Right? Okay. I did, yes. Um right. uh when I first left uh my uh or I first left uh, Chico in order to come to Fresno. I was still working for the same company and what I was doing was uh, five hours in the office just because they wanted my face there, I guess. And then three hours from home. And I did that for, for probably a good six months, maybe a little bit more, nine months, nine months, I'm told by my wife, uh, nine months. And, <laughs> and uh, it went fine. Everything was fine. You know, I got a, like I kept working while I ate dinner and everything. You know, uh, and, my numbers didn't flag or falter. And so there was no evidence that my work was suffering due to the remote period. Um, 
Oh my God. Okay. Thanks, babe. Over a year, she says. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So there's just no, no evidence. And that was a job that was very easily trackable uh, with hard numbers, you know. Everything you have deliverables, right? Like yeah. they can tell if you did shit because you have shit done at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. they knew and, and and it was done. Um at the new job, uh, when I think it was March 18th, um, they announced, you know, hey, there's all this new pandemic stuff. We need everyone to be electronic because we're probably gonna be, you know, doing remote work. And in the end, they sent basically the two least qualified people to work from home, split off a bunch of people into another building in order to minimize the number of people next to each other, and then left me, who had finished their request to uh, make all of your work electronic by the end of the 18th. So like they told us probably around noon, and by the end of the day, I had made my entire job electronic. I didn't need to come into the office anymore. And my reward was to come into the office for the rest of the entire pandemic to uh, get uh, you know, COVID and to uh, uh, basically suffer because they needed my face there, I guess, and because I needed to mail things. And it's like, you know, I could print to the printer at the office and then someone, someone else, else can, can fold those it. sheets of paper. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. a hard thing, you know, someone else who actually does need to be there for whatever reason. And yeah. she spoke about, um, oh, yeah, nobody heard it because I, I, I fucked up. Um, she spoke about how the banks are still going by the old rules and they're not learning. Uh, well, everyone is going by the old rules and they're not learning. And that is 100% true at my work. You know, we got a guy who lives in Visalia and commutes 45 minutes to an hour, depending upon traffic to fresno every day and they were like we well, gotta come back you know we need to be able to train you and it's like that's what videos are for and you know screen sharing and whatnot and you know like some of your work like you just need to be here for it and the answer to what work it was that was keeping him there was about 20 to 30 minutes of work once a week processing foreign items and rather than just saying, like, maybe let's make that someone else's responsibility and you take one of their jobs, we're going to pull you back here. And so this guy is now just, like, he talks to me pretty frequently about it. And he's he's pretty damned upset about the fact that he's, like has to drive, you know, those 45 minutes. And especially with, like, gas prices gas as they are. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's getting pretty damn pissed about it. Like, he's he's paying, you know, upwards of five bucks a gallon now. Or, 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 or sorry, sorry, five fifty a gallon to you know, so, drive into a job that he doesn't need to drive into. Right. And so that, that kind of like institutions failing to adapt is like going to be a common oh, theme yeah. on this show. Oh yeah. And I guess, yeah, I, I think that the reality is that the, the economy like needs was structured. Like after world war two, we, we built suburbia so that we didn't slip back into a crisis of, of capitalist overproduction and collapse the economy again. We mm -hmm. just decided that the best way to keep our economy, the capitalist economy from collapsing is to just consume, 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 consume resources. And so we built the suburbs and then they're still dependent on like, okay, we have these new technologies. We don't have to do that. And like I would mentioned with my father, it's like, 
Nobu, but we need you here because if you don't come here, then the land values decline. Okay. And the landlords are a very powerful lobby. Mm. And the restaurant, uh, so downtown business association or restaurant association or whatever, they're a very powerful lobby. You need to come here so that you'll spend some of your money here so that they can make money, even though like your task, the job that you're hired to do does not require your physical presence. We need you to be physically present, which requires you to consume resources because for the last 70 fucking years plus we've separated our physical spaces to where someone has to drive, can't afford housing, has to drive an hour to work. Um, let's play another clip because uh, we have uh, quite a few. Yeah, Go yeah. Uh, wanna, uh, wanna uh, right yeah, yeah. Uh, I was right before we did. Uh, the lack of adjustment by our companies extends even to when I told them I was quitting. You know, like I said, it was just it was literally, you know, begging me to stay for as long as I possibly could. But at no point was there an offer of increased pay or anything like that in order to call my favor. No, no, no. It was just you got to stay. You got to stay. So, but 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 don't you love us? Aren't you loyal? <laughs> We're a family. Fuck run. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's do the next one. <laughs> So let's start here with work culture itself and how everything is based on how hard it seems like you're working and not how hard you're actually working. I remember time and time again when I had to stay in the office until 8 p.m., 9 p.m., and even past midnight sometimes in order to finish an assignment that day as if the world was gonna implode if it wasn't finished that day. And I wasn't the only one in the office either. There were honestly a bunch of people with everyone secretly wanting to outwork the other person. And truly it was an endless toxic cycle of people bragging about how long they spent in the office, that the company paid for their dinner and their Uber ride home, which by the way, the company paid for if you stayed past 9 p.m. I absolutely hated it, but it's just a thing that people did and since I wanted to belong, I, I joined in on this cycle, which probably perpetuated the cycle. And looking back, it never really stung me until one night. And I remember this very vividly. I was so frustrated at work because I realized that I had to work late. It was ready, I don't know, past 7 or 8 p.m. And then my phone started ringing. And I checked and I saw that my mom was calling me. And my first thought wasn't, this is nice, my mom is calling me. Um, instead, my thought was, what does she want now? Yeah, and I think, first of all, introduce this guy to me, because I'm not familiar with him.
Yeah. So he mentioned um, work culture and kind of like, I think that's a really important idea too, is because I think the great resignation has a lot to do with a reassessment of priorities and it caused some introspection because we were facing literally a, a more recently a disease that could kill you. And so you're like, well, fuck life is short. Life is precious. I should do things. I mean, you know, I should, I should uh, uh, live my life. Like I could get a pandemic disease and die. Right. Like it sounds like it should be a country song or something. Right. Um, no, it is a country song. It's 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 a catchy one, but it's not that good. Um, at any reason, um, or at any rate, rather, that toxic. Like he mentioned that it wasn't the it wasn't even the employer that was putting that pressure on them. It was themselves because we live in a hyper competitive society where we're conditioned to be like this is who I am. Often, if you ask people, like. One of the first things you ask when you meet some someone sometimes like it's like not like how is your family because you don't know them you say oh what do you do for work like what how do you spend your time mm -hmm. um and so like it's completely conditioned in us to just be cogs in this machine um and that is something that like something i think that a lot of people must have woken up to not me obviously i quit before <laughs> um but being in an environment where like you're expected to work all the time like the company's like well we're like it's raining we've had like a plane an hour like mm -hmm. one person could do this no problem because they complained that they saw because all we have a record of who's in what position so like the company was like why is there only one person working? We're showing on the staffing. There's two people there. It's just like, we just work two hours and then have two hours off. And like, that's how we were running it because we didn't need to have both bodies there. And they're like, well, here's the new policy. It's going to be open and you get two 10 minute breaks and one 30 minute lunch break. So like yeah. if you're, even if there's nothing going on, you're fucking tethered to the spot. Like you have to plan your fucking piss break for your 10 minute. Break. Like it was insane. And it, it had no bearing on like the safety or the delivery of service or anything else. It was literally, we are paying you to work. You better be fucking working or pretending to work. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was another thing. The art of seeming to work now. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't necessarily send people home, but you would, uh, all, you had a break room where you could go, take a nap be on your phone or anything like that oh correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so you but, were still in the same building right yeah no we weren't allowed to leave we, yeah, we yeah. weren't so you could be called up on a moment's notice if things got more busy right and so it literally wasn't an issue but it was just like no no, no you need to have your ass in the seat and seem yep. like you're doing something well and the whole thing was like well if 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 corporate you know if if the higher ups in corporate see that like you're only like one person two are on on uh on duty but only one's really working they'll cut a body right and so it was right. like you know that Ooh. whole kind of thing where it's like oh no if we don't pretend to work then they're just gonna hire fewer people and then everybody gets screwed and, and it's just complete bullshit because we shouldn't be we shouldn't be pretending to work like we either have an important function or not which is ironic considering like my whole reason for leaving was like I worked 60 hours a week for the More better part much. of four years. 
And I was like, I'm work, I'm having to be here too much. And you're not, you're now saying that we have to sit in the fucking seat and, and, and have a legal responsibility for things happening in that space. Nine hours and 15 minutes a day mm-hmm. or whatever, nine hours out of a 10 hour day. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. And yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, we had someone, <laughs> we had someone quit. Yeah. Well, good call. You should have. Uh, we had someone quit at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, like right away. And after much analyzing of the situation, the upper management decided that her job didn't need to be replaced at the moment because a lot of it was, um, levies and things that were basically being halted for the pandemic and so they decided let's not hire this let's wait let's reanalyze later on let's see if we even need this position but it didn't think forward past the next quarter to well what happens when all this work comes back and we don't have anybody trained on how to do it and what could we be doing with the extra time we would have if we did hire for this position and everyone wasn't just balls to the wall busy working all the time and burning out you know could you know, we could have done training uh in in everybody else's jobs so that when people went on vacation they got done i have never worked a job prior to this where i come back from vacation and i'm expected to catch up on the work that i would have been doing if i was not much there. of a vacation what right? the fuck yeah it's not much of a vacation at all like there were a couple of times when i was on my vacation where i thought about it and i'm like i bet i'm gonna have to do this or i bet i'm gonna have to do that and i got back and sure enough i had to do this and i had to do that and that would never have happened if we hadn't tried to just save a few dollars on not hiring this person and had done cross training properly and so it's just infuriating as a worker to be able to see past, you know, the next quarter and see that things are going to get bad. And not only that, but bring it up in meetings time and again, what a bad job we are doing, what a disservice we're doing, not just, you know, to us as employees, but to our customers in the long term, you know, and nobody cared, you know, or they would say, oh, you know, we tried, we talked, and it's like, I need you to go in there and stand up for not just, you know, us, for yourself. Like as it is right now, my supervisor and my manager, they they work way the hell more than any or anybody should. They're doing like you were doing, you know, 60-hour work week every week and it's like if I can't trust you to stand up for yourself, how can I trust you to stand up for me? And that was definitely a big part of why I was just like I got to get out of here, you know, you got us doing all kinds of crazy work and it's just not worth it to me anymore. Yeah, it's just in 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 that's what he was talking about with like work culture, how like you're just like you're compelled, you're like, I need to do the best job because like yeah, but as we'll get to let's let's roll the next clip, but like okay, yeah, um, and we get around to talking about being disposable, and so like it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, absolutely. All right, it doesn't matter how hard you work, like they don't know they, don't, they want don't you or don't need you, they won't keep you. And that's what happened, that's what happened with my prior job is the moment I was an inconvenience and I said, Hey, I need to work from home all the time because our offices are full up and there's no other offices to send me to. They said, Okay, that's nice. You're terminated. I mean, thankfully, I got a little bit of uh you know parachute there and they gave me my severance package. But I mean, as soon as I was an inconvenience to them, you're out. Yep. Fucked up shit. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on. 
And that's when I learned my first lesson. If you don't build your dreams, then someone else will hire you to build theirs. And I realized that if I never stopped working to help someone else build their dreams, then every hour of my time, even after work, belongs to them. And because they owned my time, they owned my emotions, they owned my reactions, and they owned my relationships. And I. That was a nice short clip. Yeah, I yeah. like that one. Yeah, but one hundred percent. Try to keep some of them short. <laughs> I literally was telling someone just the other day, like, it doesn't matter that I made ninety thousand dollars a year, like, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a low wage for that career field and for the amount of responsibility we had to deal with. But like, what are you gonna do, right? Like, it's a job I had, and um, and there's other complicated issues why you couldn't be employed elsewhere because that you age out and or you have to work someplace that you have to commute forever. And so like, that was the compromise, take less pay for having a gig that was supposed to be a bit better. But um, I lost my thought. I'll get it back. You talk. Uh, well, I, uh, oh, you mentioned uh, something that made me think about your coworker who lost his vision. Like, oh, right. what even happened to him? How is he, you know, like his life just kind of went downhill i imagine like through no no fault, so. mm -mm. no he was oh, good, he was good. he was a one of the retiree workers that are double dipping they're receiving their full pension oh, okay okay and then they pick up another gig for 85 90 grand a year so they're making like 120 or 130 thousand a year that's what no, so he was fine okay. and, he, and he was able to pick up something else but i i remember my point so thank good. you uh for filling in for me there um the 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 not prioritizing family like i was telling someone the other day how like i i literally had no energy to be pleasant with my children like, oh, i wanted yeah, nothing yeah. to do with my kids when i got home because like the work itself is like draining it's a 10 hour day i'd been up since you know six o'clock in the morning it's five in the evening i'm fucking hungry I've worked all day. I had to deal with some shitty fucking pilots or whatever mm -hmm. or toxic coworkers. And I got home and like, I could not find within me the ability to be like, Oh, Hey, how are you? I love you. Oh yes, please show me that drawing. Mm -hmm. be like, Oh dad, I drew you this picture. And I'd be like, Oh, that's cool. Thanks. Yeah. You want to go sit go down outside and drink a beer? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I want nothing to do with you. I mean, I lived with you for a while. I, I saw it firsthand, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so when he talks about that, that's, that's another part of it too, right? It's like with this toxic work culture, both not just other toxic people and being forced to spend time with them, but like this whole expectation, it's a social expectation that we like live to work rather than work to live. And I think right. that yeah. is the great resignation. It's a turning on its head of the idea of living to work versus working to live. And I think a lot more people are like, no, nah, I think I can make do with less. Like I think mm -hmm. I can do work and then to help me survive, mm -hmm. but I am not going to make work the central purpose of my being. And I think that's yeah. the great resignation in a nutshell, in my yeah. opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I got kind of lucky in that my wife was able to find a job that had very, uh, very open hours. And, and, you know, after basically just analyzing this and coming home every day and just being like, I'm trying to get blood out of turnips here, you know, I'm dealing with overdrafted people and trying to, you know, I'll get money from people that don't have it. And not only that, but our bank said, hey, 
let's take the overdraft fee from $32 every time to 35. And I went in and talked to my manager and I was like, are you kidding me? In the middle of a pandemic, you want to up the fee that is going to affect poor people the most. And she's like, oh, I, I spoke to them about it and everything. And they were really hard set on it. And I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. These are some horrible people that I'm dealing with. And so, and so I, I got lucky, you know, that my wife, uh, my wife was in a position where she was like, I have more work than I can do. You can come help me. And not only will we be able to make more money than you were making over there, like they gave me the little, you know, yearly thing. It's like, here's what you're actually being paid, you know, not just your salary, but all this other stuff. And it's like, it's worthless. Because, you know, they're like, oh, well, we paid this much for your health insurance. We'll match you on your 401k. You're yeah, like, yeah. Cool yeah. shit. Like, yeah. Well, not only that, care. but like they yeah. value the health insurance so much more than it's actually valued. Like we can get the same health insurance. I pay, I think it's like $800 a month uh, to cover my family. I could do the same thing through the uh, or Cover California for 900 And so they will say that their portion of it is like, I think it's a thousand or something like that. In reality, it's a hundred. Like, okay, you bargained and you got, you know, this, but like, it's barely better than what I can get through Cover California. So really it's worth a hundred. So you can subtract 900 off of what you just told me my job, you know, benefits are worth. Yeah. Your extra perks. Yeah. 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 My extra yeah. perks and everything. Yeah. And so like, it just ended up being like, it's time to get out and it's time to, uh, you know, be with my family more often and have Fridays off because who the fuck wants to work five days a week doing Rolling something for somebody clip. else? You're... I would pass this person in the hall and we can call him John. And I was friendly with John. He was like one of those really old guys that always smiled, always seemed happy and always had a joke to crack and he never complained. I wasn't exactly friends with him, but we would say hi to each other in passing. We'd had small talk. Um, and I always thought of John as like this model employee that every company would want to hire because super hard worker. And again, never complained about anything. Then one day he stopped showing up and I didn't think about it very much at first. I thought he was just on vacation, but then a week went by, a month went by, and then several months went by and still nothing. And still to this day, I have no idea what happened to John. He could have quit. He could have been fired. What was weird, was that nothing changed. Everything was exactly the same. People went to the office, people left the office. It was as if John never existed within these walls ever. I real I knew in the back of my head that a company is not gonna stop running just because someone isn't there anymore, but it felt really weird to witness this firsthand that someone that you've seen every day, someone that you've interacted with every day just disappeared and nothing changed. And that's where the second lesson clicked. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, have you? Where someone just disappears and you kind of just stop talking about them? Oh, you've never no. called? Okay. Uh, most recently, there was a guy uh, who who worked for my current bank, and every day he'd walk by, he'd be like, hey, Zach. And I'm like, who's, who's that guy? And eventually, <laughs> I find out his name, and I'm just like, oh, okay, hey, you know, have a good day. You know? And he disappears one day. And I you know, it's just like he says, you don't think about it, you know, vacation or in the middle of a pandemic, they're sending him to a branch to interact with more people so that he can come back to our building and spread whatever he got at the branch. That's my bank. Brilliant. But, uh, you know, I don't think anything about it. And finally, I realize it's been like two weeks. And so I ask, and it's like, oh, um, you got another job. It's like, do you know anything about it? Like, no, not really. So 
either they don't want to say or they didn't ask. And, uh, you know, we had somebody else who left to go uh, help her husband run a plumbing operation. And the only reason I know that is because I spoke with her about it. You know, and it's like, for, for the most part, if you don't move from one location in the company to another location in the company, you're just gone. You're disappeared. And I can think of no worse example of this than uh, when I was in the Navy. We had someone um, in my department where I was on duty. I was supposed to be relieved by him and he didn't show. And half an hour passed. And it's like, this is this is unusual. What's going on? And an hour passed and, you know, we didn't hear anything. And then finally someone comes in and says, you're probably not getting relieved. And they pulled up a news article on or or that they'd seen on on the on the tv on the computer and uh he he had committed suicide by cop mm, and know, yeah. and but within three weeks we weren't talking about it anymore there was an empty opposition and it was filled as quickly as it could have been and nobody wanted to talk about it anymore nobody wanted to deal with it anymore and you know under those circumstances i understand but i think the point that he's making is definitely true that you're like you're not important and you might have coworkers that are like oh man i really like that guy why did he get fired or why did he leave management doesn't know they're like i don't know he said he was leaving he had a better opportunity and that's the extent of our relationship and that's the hard part too is that like you spend when you spend like I was 60 hours a fucking week with people that I'm like, I would never, ever under any circumstances hang out with you right. outside of work because I think you're miserable fucking people. Oh, God. <laughs> and then you're like, you don't really it's like you spend. But yet I was denying my I was being denied mm-hmm. time with my children who like I don't really have a choice. I have to hang out with them all the time. So like that was a joke, too. Um, I love, them. I love, them I love so my much. kids, but seriously, like, yeah, you're just like a completely anonymous individual, and like, you're just kind of in and out, and you have no impact on your organization, no matter how hard you fucking work. You're like, oh man, you know, um, I don't want to get stuck on this too much, but like, you you do something cool, and you're like, hey, like, look at this, like, I, I organ, I did an inventory, I figured out a way to organize the the yeah. um, your supply cabinet that's like makes sense. And mm-hmm. that it's easy and that the things that we use the most are the closest to the door. So it's like, I just saved us an hour or more every month of yeah. time going in there and looking for the thing we can't find because I organized it. Right. And I'm proud of that. Right. And it's right. like, go on vacation for two fucking weeks and everybody's just putting shit everywhere anyway. Mm-hmm. You're like, I can't find mm-hmm. anything. They're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And you, you feel like you make an impact on the organization, but you never really truly do because people just are there to get fucking paid and they don't really care. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Let's finish this clip. Cause we got two more. Uh, we are and hopefully be done, done by seven 30. We are done with Vincent Chan and we are going to oh. move on. I know nothing about this guy except like the first two. Yeah. He apparently left his job, but the reason that I selected this clip mm-hmm. is because he specifically talks about it in the context of the American dream. Now, Vincent Chan was talking about the toxic work culture where you're like driven right to work and that in and of itself, you might be just like a perfectionist or like you're just like, 
always trying to one up yourself like, oh, I did this task this in this amount of time, I can do it faster or I can do it better or like oh, whatever yeah. else. And yeah. you might be driven to that and there might be a social pressure to do that. Oh yeah, we had but competitions at my last. On the incentive end yeah. of the American dream. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, we had competitions at my last, uh, in my last employment, you know, but uh, since it was so easily measurable, you could have some fun competitions, which actually helped the time to pass by. So maybe it wasn't so bad, but it really was just. Um, and his time. name was Thomas. I believe it's Timothy. Timothy, Timothy. Ward. Timothy Ward. For those yeah. who are curious, he's got a, a channel on YouTube. Um, I linked everything YouTube. in the description. So awesome. if anybody wants to watch these videos, we haven't done that before. I'm going to try to go back and and, and edit everything. So if anybody wants to, they can. It, yeah, I think that's only good fit. because we should share some love. Like this guy's, I mean, I only watched the one video, but I liked yeah. his approach. Yes. Sometimes it's like, I don't have to necessarily 100% like everything you say, but I mm -hmm. like your aesthetic and your delivery. <laughs> I do like his, I do like his, 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 uh, a selfie stick approach to it. So I'm gonna go back to that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like instead of a backpack, he should be wearing, or if that is a backpack, it, it looks, looks like a backpack. backpack. Yeah, yeah, he should be wearing like suspenders or something. <laughs> He's got the cap and shit. Like, oh yeah, he, he could rock it. <laughs> the dragon yeah. cap. All right, let's do. This. All right, let's listen to this one. I'm and today. Sorry. About today we're going to be talking about the American dream, or more specifically, how I had to like let go of the American dream to really start living my life. Now, I wanna say real quick, I say American dream because I'm from America, okay? Feel free to insert whatever country or region of the world you want to. Wherever you're at, put that in there. But basically what we're talking about is whatever is like the prevailing ideal of how you should live your life in your area, okay? I know the American dream involves like you know getting good grades and then going to college or university so that you can get a good job and a great career so you can have you know a two-story house in the suburbs with a big backyard with a golden retriever in it and 3.5 kids and a mercedes and or a bmw okay this is the american dream and there's nothing wrong with this dream if that is your dream cool go for it but the thing i've come to realize in life and it took me a while it took me well into my 30s to realize is that the American dream is not for all of us. And I realized that the American dream was not for me. And in fact, like living my life a lot of times unconsciously or subconsciously, living my life in a way trying to like get the American dream or acquire the American dream was like taking away from my happiness. Yeah. And so between Vincent Chan's talking about toxic work environment and being driven and realizing like, Oh my God, like I was mad that my mother called me like, I was delightful lady. <laughs> and, and him talking about the American dream. Now I have never fit in that category, nor I believe you have ever fit in the category of like being driven to work, to accumulate stuff. That's yeah. just not who I am. But I do think that there is a certain like buying a house, having some kids, like, and especially for younger people who <clears> experienced <throat> the financial crisis of 2008, very, you know, I was, you were already in the Navy by then, but like, oh, 2008, I was, I was out of the Navy and I was in school. No, 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 no. I meant like 9 11. Oh, I, okay. So yes. My whole life is like, my adult life is characterized by like 9 11 and the yes. financial crisis. Yeah. Right. And so, like, when, I, what I'm saying is that like millennials, broadly speaking, like 
our grandparents were like, you got to go to college because mm-hmm. my kids didn't go to college. And like, you'll do better if you go to college. And then what happened? You had a whole fucking generation of people get out of college with a degree and many people with a lot of debt. And then there was nothing for them. And so there's this kind of like, I think this correction um, happening and the great resignation is also part of that, especially perhaps for the professional managerial class, Mm -hmm. right? Like for those people who had a secure job and made a lot of money, but were like, hmm, maybe I should reprioritize. I want to travel more. I want to spend more time with my family or like I have a elder parent that has like dementia or cancer and I want to take time to enjoy them while they're still here. And that's like one thing, but I think that like this subversion of expectations, like we, we discussed earlier and basically saying, no, the American dream is something it, it, it does not exist. And there is some other thing to aspire to and some other thing to invest our time in because like ultimately like if you get eight hours of sleep a night you get 16 hours a day Mm -hmm. and then there's all the 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 the, the domestic work right like cooking and cleaning and bathing yourself and all of these things that take up your time too so like if you if you're spending 10 hours a day working for someone else making them money and you're like oh i'm getting rich but like what is wealth? And I think that we're reconsidering what wealth means. The pandemic helped with that because like I said earlier about like the threat of dying, you're like, oh shit. Um, maybe there are more important things to life than to just spending all of my time grinding, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, def- I definitely think the great resignation has an element of reassessing what the good life means. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you're right. I never really had too much you know material desires i think the most i ever hoped for was a very powerful computer that i could use to aid science you know with the boink project (laughs) and so like aside from that i just wanted a house and later on in life i realized wow if i could put some solar panels on that house and make it easier to run a computer for science and whatnot like I just wanted to help. <laughs> yeah, no, and for me, like, I made a lot of sacrifices in my life because, like, I wanted just, like, a little patch of ground to do yes. my fruit trees and my chickens and all that other stuff. And so that was my, and that's exactly what I worked for. And then once I got in a position where I had that, then it became time to reassess. Well, I have these things. They're secure. I can make them secure even without this job. Now I want the time to do, to, to bring my vision to life. And that's never going to happen. Grinding 60 hours oh, a week no. and coming home and being emotionally and physically exhausted every single day. There was no way I was ever going to be able to, to, to start to build my version of the dream. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a give and take. You grind a little. And I know a lot of people that, Grind, grinded for a long time and then we're like okay cool we're in that spot now we can start our farm or homestead or we can get our tiny house on wheels and drive around the country and do that shit Go ahead. there are some videos that i ended up watching or researching this but not sharing but they talked about uh the different levels of uh, fiscal freedom 
and one of them was coasting you know where you you are able to get all the work in very early on and then coast your way through the rest of your life and yeah i think that's where most like most of us aren't you know greedy we're not interested in just yeah we're not interested in just accumulating 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 you know we want to just get what we want and then just coast until we're dead you know that's, that's yeah that's ultimately why uh my partner and i decided not to buy a dairy yes that sounded because, like it was going to be a level well, of investment of time well and the thing it's not just the time i think we could have lived the exact lifestyle we wanted mm -hmm. um or pretty close to it but it would have been a lot more grinding and you mentioned coasting mm -hmm. and that's what our ultimate thing was like well shit like we could between the two of us like we can piece together enough of an income to like mm -hmm. pay the mortgage and utilities like fairly easily because i'm in a fixed rate mortgage right and like taking on all of that debt and then running a business and then doing all that mm -hmm. oh, like, we're gonna have to plug your hot sauce company at the end <laughs> right um <laughs> we are still trying to do businesses value-added food production and stuff we're mm -hmm. still figuring that out but like we would be jumping two feet first into a whole lot of debt and a whole lot of work and we are like fuck man that's a grind in and of itself even though it's grinding for yourself you're still yeah. like, a small business owner small farmer a dairyman like, mm -hmm. you're still grinding and we're like well fuck bro like our mortgage is affordable here like yeah well i mean like, really were you would you have been grinding for yourself or would you or or, or would you have been grinding for the person whom you bought the dairy from you know uh, they i mean when the debt's paid off i mean you're really grinding for prior to that that's an though, asset so yeah, like yeah. you're you're actually you have equity and that's, that's a true, whole another thing but the the fact is is that even if we didn't owe money on it like right dairy cows got to be milked every day mm -hmm. and they have to yeah. be inseminated so that they produce young so that they produce milk and then mm -hmm. they're producing milk every day so you've got to fucking do something with it you got to make cheese you got to sell milk you got to do whatever. Right. Um, and most of the work would be to the government because milk is like so highly regulated. But let's not go too deep into that. The, <laughs> we don't need to. The idea was you mentioned coasting and I had never even really put a word to it or thought much about it. But that was essentially our logic was like, we got it pretty good here. Do you really want to fucking rock that boat? I don't no. know. I could live like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> right? Like, so on your uh, two-thirds of an acre <laughs> uh yeah it's a point six so about two-thirds yeah. Yeah, yeah and i mean it's a sizable property that's the thing you know like it it's it, not it can enough give you... to yeah go ahead well you got room for pigs you got room for chickens you got room for plants like it like what more do you need you know to support yourself i mean grain growing grain eh, yeah. making an income because the pg and &E unfortunately doesn't take eggs uh, well pg&e you just got to get more solar panels should have mm. gone harder like i recommended <laughs> I, I think i'm okay <laughs> let's get to richard wolf we can get yeah, out of here pretty quick this is the man richard wolf is an economist yes phenomenal i'm sure most people that would watch this would be familiar with him but he is a marxist economist um he's at the new school now i think he's tenured at umass amherst but he's all around a really intelligent guy runs an operation called um democracy at work and he's all about workers co-ops he said that is the socialism yes. of the future is not like uh, stalinist russia where you had a highly centralized highly bureaucratic state but instead a true socialism um probably what the soviet ideal was 
um, early on in the revolution, but like true worker democracy in the workplace, making decisions, deciding how the uh, profits are either reinvested into the company or distributed among the workers mm -hmm. um, rather than the system we have now where like 2% of the population owns like 80% of the assets. So, yeah, he was actually the first person. Uh, I didn't subscribe to Marx when I was in high school. I didn't, you know, get into any of that stuff. Um, and so he was the first person who I had explained to me the worker co-ops. And I was like, this is, obvious and i'm so dumb <laughs> and and when we and, and just as a quick aside when we talk about the places that we work and how they're like you need to do this if we had any fucking democracy at all in our workplaces we could have been like all right which we did until the company like forced it on us said oh we don't like this that you're you're getting paid but you're not sitting in the seat seat pretending to work mm -hmm. we democracy we we everybody that has a job generally knows what that job is and knows how to do it without supervision. Oh, right. Yeah, like, absolutely. And so in a democratic workplace, we would be able to decide, how do you want to spend your time? Yeah. I want to go take lunch with, I want to go pick my kids up for lunch from school and hang out with them for an hour. Yeah. Okay, cool. We got coverage. Take off. Keep your phone on you in case we need you. You're 20 minutes away or whatever. Right. But we don't have democracy in our workplaces. We just. No, it's, it's very much a dictatorship. You know, I go into work. I give up my rights for nine hours basically and they're like well you you have an hour lunch and it's like man it doesn't count i'm away from home i don't want to be away from home but i have to be so yeah and an hour still work. yeah oh you get a lunch break it's like, oh, fucking... i don't even want the hour i like, can eat my fucking lunch in 10 minutes i just yeah yeah I, I can do it at the desk i no honestly yeah, right. i i would much rather, like i work from eight to five with an hour lunch i'd much rather work from eight thirty but to five or from eight to four fucking 30. But they're like, we need coverage in order to make sure that we're serving our customers and people at the branches or, you know, taking care of it. And it's like, nothing happens before eight 30. You fucks <laughs> like, guarantee it. I don't see anything where someone's like, I have a desperate need for you to be here at eight in the morning. No, it just doesn't happen. It's bullshit. Anyway, Richard Wolf. Fantastic. Guy. Richard Wolf. <laughs> It went much faster. It rose much faster. In He's talking about wages. 150 years, roughly 1820 yeah, to I, I cut that I So to come down, to be flat, stagnant, which is what one half of 1% a year, if you remember how fuzzy all statistics are, that's what that means. We have stagnated as an income-earning, wage-earning working class. And the only reason the standard of living rose over the last 30 years is because the working class in America found two solutions to the end of rising wages. Number one, do more hours of work a week, maybe in a second or third job. And even more important, because that wasn't enough, borrow more money than any working class in the history of the world had ever borrowed before. And when that ran out, you were exhausted and you couldn't borrow anymore. We had the great crash of 2008 and nine. We've had the rough last 10 years and the crash of 2020 and 2021. It's really been a terrifically hard time. And as if that weren't enough, the rising productivity of the American working class 
meant that they produced more and more, but they didn't get it. Who got it? The top 1%, the top 5%. In other words, over the last 40 years, not only did the working class take it on the chin compared to the previous 150, but it was making the rich richer all the time. And that made life difficult too. Yeah. So I kind of, you know, I wanted to include that clip because like when we're not talking about the PMC and when we're not talking about office workers and we're Mm -hmm. talking about, I mean, you mentioned wages too, though. I mean, wages matter, but like, I wanted to ask you, like, obviously like Occupy Wall Street was very important to my thinking about Mm -hmm. the world. It introduced me to um, many ideas that even I wasn't exposed to in college or, you know, our, my summer at an anarchist fucking Black Panther led like <laughs> um, commune, for lack of a better term, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, you know, with real radicals, with real deep roots um, in, in, in Occupy Wall Street even exposed me further to more ideas is what I was saying. And then you had Bernie Sanders and you had like this whole idea that the fucking rich are taking everything from us. And you had a whole generation of young people like millennials and zoomers that were finally like finding they had company. They're like, man, I fucking hated that. Like I, I know how much the contract is. I know how much you're paying three people to be here and you're getting paid. The contract you have is for five people. And you're, you say you're trying to hire someone, but you're obviously not trying that hard because we can just work that and fill that in for you. Mm -hmm. And we know how much you're making. So like, we know how much we're worth. Right. And we know how much we get. And I think the great resignation definitely has to do a little bit with that. Not just people getting fed up of grinding for shit wages, women getting sexually harassed in the workplace at restaurants or whatever. Like it's a, it's more than that. I, in my opinion, I, from my perspective, I feel that like, there's definitely an awakening to how the wage labor system is by design extractive of our time and labor that connects to reassessing priorities and redefining what your, your dream is, as opposed to like the American dream you're socializing to and all these other things, like all connect at this intersection that like you're spending all of the good years of your life, making someone else rich. What are your thoughts on this? Very early. No, no, uh, it's a fantastic question. Very early on, uh, you know, I joined the military and I got to travel the world and I got to do a whole lot of fun ass shit. I went to New Orleans with you. I, you know, uh, got to go to, uh, you know, various areas around the country and the world. And I think what I learned from that very early on is that your life is short, your health is limited, and you need to have fun at the front of your life. All these, the idea that you should work until you're fucking 65 so that you can then go enjoy the world. Your knees are bad. Yeah, your knees, no, you're retired. You're tired. (laughs) Like your knees are bad. Your back hurts. You're doing all this stuff. You can't go climb that mountain, you know, to see what's beyond the horizon. You know, you can't. Uh, see, you know, some sort of sculpture and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just walk over to that next place. Like 
it's not going to happen. You're going to be on the tour bus or you're going to be on the uh, cruise ship or whatever. You're going to see what they want you to see. And so I, uh, back in 2011, I took the time to go to Europe with a friend and it wiped out my savings. You know what? I have no fucking regrets about that. Like I was healthy and I got the opportunity to go see what I wanted to see in Europe. And it was fantastic. I pooped fire in London because they have some bomb ass fucking Indian food. You know, <laughs> like I climbed all the hills of Paris and all this stuff. You know, it's 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 when you're young is when you should be doing it. And we even have, uh, you know, what is that saying? You know, uh, uh, you know, youth is for the young or some shit like that. I forget exactly what it is, but it, youth is wasted on the young. There we go. I didn't waste it. I took advantage of my youth. And I absolutely have no regrets about it. And I feel that I everyone it. should live that way. I don't know. Come on. Did you really? Nah. Know? I don't I think mean, you I, did. Man, in you hindsight, dude, being You back did less than school, you could have, but. Right. Being ba- I, You're right. I did some stuff. But being back in school, I see these kids that are like 18, yeah. 19. They're getting like a two-year certificate in like heavy uh, mm. equipment operating. And they're going to ma- be making fucking $100,000 for the rest of their life. I see and like I spent yeah. five years getting a history degree, which has given me a lot of perspective to understand the crises we're living mm-hmm. through right now. But I mean, fuck, dude. Like, I mean, and I had a blast. I was in college for five whole years. At like <laughs> Seven. Woo. <laughs> a really freaking fun school to go to at Chico State. But like, yeah, but. In hindsight, like I could have set myself up a little bit different, but I didn't, and that's okay too, because I'm pretty happy with where I am. So yeah. Um I think that was the end of the wolf clip, right? It was and then yeah. we just finish on a hedges. I, I will be dumber seven thirty. I will, but first I want to say I have oh, I have no regrets about my seven years in college without a doctorate. because uh, <laughs> thank you, wife. Uh because I took so many different courses and so many different majors. Because I, I, I never figured out what drove me, what made me passionate. But at the same time, taking courses in different majors that were like kind of near to each other, but sometimes completely opposite, showed me how interconnected everything was. And yeah, I think a, that has helped awesome. me to be a more mm-hmm. complete you know, person and to be able to like see connections that like other people might not see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we got Chris Hedges. And we'll man, finish on a Hedges clip. The Prophet. <laughs> Hedges the Prophet. Let's do I mean, it. literally, we could just like, I mean, he doesn't have his on contact show anymore, but we literally could go back through any, I, I would love to do a deep dive just on like his, he does a lecture, it was like 10 years ago when he wrote Wars of Force that gives us meaning. I think I might have brought right. that up in one you of did. my last yeah. episodes. I would love to just literally to just have, that's our whole episode we'll, is we we'll just cover like, war. watch a lecture and then pause it periodically and talk yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Hey. If the fans want to see it, then you know, let us know, you zero concurrent viewers. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Put it in the comments below. Like and subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe. Damn it. I was actually uh, you know amazed that we'd never said like and subscribe. I just fucking did, dude. Oh, just you did. did. Nice. Nice. Now we've got to cover it covered. All right. Cross the bridge. <laughs> it was our first like and subscribe. No. Click the notification bell. Oh, that's true. That's so you get true. notified when we go live. Do all the stuff except for the dislike. In fact, nowadays you can even do the dislike. It doesn't so matter. Just, Nobody sees it. Your dislikes. Nobody often sees it because they block the number of people that disliked it. Ah. He's like, I don't, I don't really like that blue guy over Steve's shoulder. It's, like, it's yeah. fucking Max Rebo. He, he is literally... the band. It's the name of the band. 
he's not just the the leader of the band i'm pretty sure he's the like de facto like kingpin of mos espa for sure because he just somehow manages to not die every time something gets blown up is that in the extended universe that is now no longer canonical uh no no it's just from like he 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 didn't get bombed in the book of boba fett and he didn't Mm. die on java's sail barge so he somehow like must be like some kind of cat species or something that's got nine lives i don't know but there was there was some kind of joking speculation that he might be the kingpin and it's not actually the Pikes or anybody else. He's going to come back and just take out Boba Fett. Max Rebo is like the <laughs> puppet master behind the screen. He's the Sith Lord. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go watch ahead some Chris Hedges. Let's watch him. <laughs> we're a Star Wars themed show, which means if we don't have a Star Wars joke, we're not doing our job. Absolutely true. Chris Hedges. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, and and then, of course, it uh, this uh, process essentially controls Contributed to the deindustrialization of the country, uh, thrusting the working class uh, into profound economic despair. So, in urbanized centers uh, where there once was uh, some kind of industrial work, uh, you've left largely communities of color, uh, and the two forms of social control are the police, militarized police. Uh, that you know function as de facto armies of occupation, and of course the uh, prison system itself. Um, we hear more from the dispossessed and disenfranchised white working class, those people who supported Trump, um, uh, and I think that's because the draconian forms of social control uh, have been, not been as effective uh, against the white working class. That's number one. And number two, uh, James Baldwin writes about this. There is always uh, a feeling if you're a white American uh, that uh, the American dream is a possibility. Baldwin actually writes about how uh, African-Americans don't have the same kind of midlife crisis that white, in particular white male Americans have because they never believed that they always knew that that dream was a fiction. Um, And I think that's why uh, you have uh, perhaps, uh, or most of the suicides uh, uh, that are uh, carried out in the United States are carried out by middle-aged white men, men in their 40s and 50s, who've realized that they've been discarded, that that, that American myth, that American dream is a lie. Now, the consequences of this reconfiguration of wealth and the dispossession of the American working class are social, cultural, political, and psychological. In my last book, uh, America, the Farewell Tour, uh, I started as kind of my foundation with Emile Durkheim, the great French sociologist. Uh, Durkheim had uh, explored uh, suicide. This was a book he wrote, I think it was 1898. Um, But he, he asked the question, what is it that drives individuals and societies to carry out either uh, singular or collective acts of self-annihilation. Um, and he targeted, uh, uh, this is where you get the term anime, but he targeted uh, the rupture of social bonds, those bonds that integrate you into the society, uh, which are not just about work, but work is important. And John Paul II actually wrote a very fine encyclical about the importance of work and how work is not just about uh, exchanging labor for a wage, 
uh, but about the uh, dignity, about a sense of place, uh, about a sense of meaning. Uh, and John Paul even argues that it's about the cohesiveness of family because uh, it is, it's about the, the ability for a family as a unit uh, to live uh, and to sustain itself uh, in a society. Uh, and all of that goes um, uh, with deindustrialization. Uh, so right I think the reason we see yeah, so I just wanted to include that clip. Uh, a, because he talks about deindustrialization. We're talking about the Great Resignation as people voluntarily leaving because they're like, I found a new purpose in life. But a lot of people were stripped of their jobs and their dignity over the last several decades. And we're seeing the kind of consequences of that with like in the Rust Belt and like the popularity of someone like donald trump who is just like a fucking uber rich like prick who has nothing in common it's not like he grew up and made a fortune like his fucking grandfather made the fortune going and screwing over people during the yukon gold rush his dad was a real estate developer and so he was a real estate developer never really worked worked in a day in his life and somehow became this like figure you know, this savior figure for all these people who just been like, were stripped of their dignity. And that's another thing. I think that it goes both ways, right? Like we need purpose in work. And so some people have come to the point where they're like, I'm going to quit because I don't have purpose here, or I'm going to put my efforts towards my family or whatever. Um, or I'm going to adjust my home economic situation, um, to where I don't need to work as hard. Um, and that is a luxury that, you know, we are able to take that people that have been grinding, living paycheck to paycheck forever wouldn't necessarily have the luxury to do. And we should acknowledge that fact uh, up front. We should have done it up front. But I just mostly uh, was kind of connecting to that, that idea that like we don't just because people left, like other people were stripped of their jobs. And then everybody, whether they left voluntarily or had their job taken from them, there's this kind of dignity attached to work um and i was just curious what you thought about the idea of dignity and work and what is work um because that's another subject for another day beyond just the great resignation but talking about work yeah. um and how it doesn't oh it doesn't have to be just about that grind like there's other things that we can get out of work and i think that a lot of people in the great resignation um recognize that what they were doing was not contributing to the world they wanted it was not contributing to the the uh the family they wanted it wasn't contributing to their mental health situation in the way that they wanted um and so then it just became like do i stay or do i go right like i can stay in this job that kind of makes me miserable or i can take that risk of of leaving it i was curious what you thought about that um yeah, uh, 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 for Dickney at my at my prior job, um, I managed to carve out a bit of dignity for myself. I ended up working with my hands, working on machines, solving problems, and that I basically defined my own meaning and my own purpose, and gave myself that feeling of success and that feeling of doing something worthwhile within a job that overall 
didn't have any dignity, you know. Um, I mentioned earlier, you're processing checks, something that shouldn't even exist anymore. But, you know, basically taking some of that back by working on the hardware and figuring it all out for myself. Um, whereas in my current realm, there's nothing to be had. There's no dignity to be had in making sure that, you know, regulations handed down from the government are followed or in bothering yet another uh, uh, person who's already struggling or time after time is telling me that, you know, they've been in the hospital with COVID and true or not, you know, I assume everyone's telling the truth to me and if they're not, whatever, but yeah, multiple times I've heard the same story. Like I, I came down with COVID. I didn't, on occasion, they'll be like, I didn't you know, believe it, but I was in the hospital, you know, for three months. And that's why I haven't, you know, been checking on my account. And it's like, wow, holy shit, you know, luckily you got someone who understands, you know, what you're saying and I'll do everything I can to help you move along. And like, that's, that's the only dignity that I can carve for myself in this current job is just using what leeway I have to give people that are suffering an opportunity to unfortunately make right and pay back the fucking bank. But, you know, it's something it's, it, 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 it's what I can do from within my realm. And yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And, and I think with that kind of connects back to that question of the PMCs, I think that a lot, a mm -hmm. lot of people in those kind of professional, like they have a lot of dignity. So it's easy, like in the work they're doing. So they kind of have the op, they have to approach reassessing their own life's priorities and objectives, like from a different perspective, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're a fast food worker or like, you know, like if you're a waitress and you're tired of fucking people grabbing at you or flirting with you or looking down your shirt or whatever, like that's your own personal dignity and, and potentially safety, exactly, right? That yeah. you're like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm tired of the shit. And like, I've tried to get it addressed and boss says customers always right so fuck off i'm done right that's like one thing where you can kind of assert by leaving your job um by resigning you're trying to preserve what dignity you have as a human being because as we discussed earlier like in capitalism like even for the professional managerial class but especially for like the actual you know physical working class service sector um industrial workers etc like you're straight disposable. Mm. So like trying to find a place within that system to find dignity for yourself is hard. Some people do that just through being like, well, you know, I like my job and you know, this is okay. And they just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot more people have been thinking about it. And you know, that, that subject of dignity, like I was in air traffic, every single person that's like, ever found out i did that was like oh my god that's so cool and like but the company relies on that kind of prestige that goes around the job as like a perk like oh well, you're an air traffic controller so you you know you got it good and like you have an interesting mm -hmm. job like it's, it's like true but i don't want to fucking do it 60 hours a week and like i don't understand why it's so goddamn hard for you to wrap your fucking head around it <laughs> But at any rate, do you have a final thought? Because we're about 7.30 and this would be a good time to talk. I think I got some kebabs on the grill right now. Ooh, I don't know what we got planned for dinner, but that sounds pretty good. I'm going to have to steal that idea for kitchen, uh, which is later amazing. on this week. Mine's reading the book. But, uh, 
I know we'll get to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, at the end of American Empire, democracy dies. With thunderous applause. All right. I've been Steve Sola. And this is Zach Baca. Y'all have thank you for joining us this week. We're going to do another week. We haven't decided our topic yet. We're torn on whether talking about uh, energy, economics, and oil specifically. Or maybe we can talk a little bit uh, more about this uh, Chris Hedges clip. He was talking to the New York Bar Association a couple years ago, I think. It was, I think, at the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And he leads from this point we paused it into talking about American fascism in the context of being stripped of your dignity of work and being thrust into this like insecurity and how you turn to uh, fascist demagoguery. And um, maybe we can talk about that. Hmm. We'll see. I like both of them. I think maybe, maybe we need to pay respects to Chris Hedges first though. (laughs) Maybe we'll do that. Thank you for watching. If you watched it now or later, I mean, you're not watching it now, but (laughs) when you watch it later, if you watch it later, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next week, Sunday, at uh, 5.36 p.m. Around there. (laughs) Y'all have a good time. All right. See you later. Bye, everyone. Bye.